touch the kind of thing. He gave and he multiplied and he gives with such abundance. What we've been doing as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, communion together, we're celebrating again the fact that God gave everything. He gave the best. God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his best. He gave heaven's best because of you. He loves you. He wants you in his family. He, Jesus came to break down the barrier between him and us. The barrier of sin. And you know, now we hear this so often. And, uh, and you'll always hear it from me whenever I stand up. Because it is the one great, great yes. thing that has happened that changed the destiny of everybody. And for when God oh, lives on this earth, because when God looks at the earth, he looks at it, people as for whom his son died. Yeah. He sees you as, forgive, as being forgiven, and all you have to do is to claim that yeah. and take the offering of believing Jesus yeah. and receive Jesus and follow him. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Whoever, he said he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But to those who did receive yes. him, he gave the right to be called the children of God, who were born not the will of man, not of the will of flesh, not by any human strategy, but born of God. Yeah. What an amazing thing that God does. The moment we reach out, the moment we respond, the moment we take the name of Jesus upon our lips in yieldedness and worship and acceptance, a miracle takes place on the inside of us and we're brought out of darkness and into his marvellous light and everything God does to us and for us, he not only just does kind of thing, he does it multiplied, yes. he multiplies it, he keeps on giving. Oh, how I love how what Paul said when he said once, he said the God who has delivered us, is delivering us and will yet deliver us. He never changes. He's our deliverer. He's our saviour. He's the one who forgives our sins. He's the one who's made us sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome Father. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And so, and well, I often think that because the older I get, I'm fascinated with the process of this journey in me. And I suppose you are in yourself at times. And as I look back now, over, you know, when I was 17, I first knew the Lord and first gave my heart to Jesus and it's been a journey of discovery and a journey of going from faith to faith and strength to strength and glory to glory he's always taking us on lifting us up opening doors giving us opportunities blessing us he loves you he has planned the plans God has for you for good and not for evil that to give you a future and a hope I love what John G. Lake once was quoted as saying that anyone who really understands who Jesus is and receives the gospel has every right to be the most incredible, um, uh, what's the word, most incredible, most irrepressible, most uh, unreasonable optimist. You know, because God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, hallelujah. What a saviour. And so as we turn to John chapter, I love this going through the Bible sort of consecutively in sense to get the opportunity to do this because 
It means that we come across and wrestle with and think upon um, and delve into scriptures we may not necessarily turn to. I mean, because there's a great temptation to go with um, our favourite texts. Of course, there's so many you could be preaching for the whole life on favourite texts because the Bible's full of them. But here's one. John chapter 2, and I'm breaking with tradition this morning by reading from the, you'll be so pleased to know, from the Passion, from the Passion Translation. So anyway, I love these notes on this, but um, let's just turn to this. Is, here we see Jesus in an amazing light, and the way perhaps some people don't always uh, wouldn't expect to see him in many ways. Is it this scripture here, one has to say, has caused a lot of embarrassment to some Christians and um, a challenge to the way they see things. And uh, of course, um, this, this parable, the first miracle, the first miracle that Jesus did is one, I wonder, there are certain miracles and things that the Lord did which somehow seem to uh, everybody remembers them you know the multiplying of the bread and whatever and this is another one somehow and especially loved of course by all those who enjoy a glass of vino and so um, uh, here we are now on the third day there was a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realised it, she came to him, to Jesus, and said, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? What she didn't realise was, in saying that, that was a very profound and prophetic thing, because really the earth had been out of wine for 4,000 years, in a sense. Because the pervasive, glorious presence of the Spirit of God that pervaded the garden of Eden where man was first placed. It was full of his presence. Of course, mankind lost that. Um, it lost the, the freedom of opportunity for it. And Jesus, one of the things Jesus came was to come and break down the separation between God and man and, and release and restore back to the earth the Holy Spirit and the availability of the Holy Spirit to all who would believe and receive. Hallelujah. So, they're out of wine. Yes, but Jesus has got something to do about this. So, can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Of course, it's not just the miracles there that he's talking about. I mean, this is a, this is a paraphrase. There's more to this. The time that really released the wine of God back into the earth happened. The cross had to take place. The resurrection had to take place. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the earth that has changed everything from that day to this and always will. Um, so Mary, but she wasn't to be put off, nevertheless, with this. She went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure you do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. 
Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. But when they, and when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tested the water that became wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed. Although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servants, the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, Every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory and his disciples believed in him. Praise the Lord. Let's just look at some of the embarrassing things, first of all, that people struggle with. First of all, of course, they struggle with the fact that Jesus, after people had had so much wine to drink, who were probably in weddings in those days, went on in their culture for anything from three to seven days. And it's quite possible with the numbers that come to celebrate, you know, that people would run out of refreshments and have to get more. But this was a major... This was a major um, embarrassment potentially here. It was a difficult social occasion. But Jesus, even though these people had had plenty to drink, here he multiplies the provision of the finest quality wine and creates by the touch of his power something like 120 to 150 gallons of wine. That is what I call abundance. And, um, and wow, and uh, praise the Lord. You know, the Lord, the Lord simply, almost sometimes never seems to know when to stop. He just loves us to enjoy his presence. Because really this is underneath it all. This is what it's all speaking about. There are levels of, levels of understanding revelation all this. We'll touch upon some of them as we go through this morning. But here he did this. And of course, this is a great difficulty for people who, st who stand firm on the, on the issue of abstinence and being a teetotaler and, and whatever. But we have to face, we have to have a balanced view of these things. And we have to face the fact that John the Baptist was an abstainer and Jesus wasn't. And that's the reality of it. But... As far as we're concerned as Christians, we also, although there's no prohibition in the New Testament for drinking wine, we are told not to get drunk. And we are told, we are taught about self-control. And we're not to be so given to wine that we act like animals and completely taken over and lose all inhibition and whatever, whatever. And so we need to have lives of grace, lives where we're able to bless people, lives where we're able to love people, lives where we're able to encourage people, lives that release grace to people everywhere we go. And then there's the other issue of love, the question of loving one another. Now, we have to be aware that people have their problems with these things. Sometimes it might be, a, might be an issue of how they specifically understand this in the place of wine. Um, it might be 
the fact that they have a weakness for it and they've had a trouble like that. We need to be very, very careful with this. And that's why many Christians um, determine that they'll just have to stick to total abstinence and won't, uh, won't create a snare for anyone. Because if we are drinking one, we know there's a brother or sister's got a problem with it. That is not loving to them. And we're called to live a life of love as God is. And so, as we understand these things, it, lose, it means that we can contemplate this first miracle of Jesus um, without any sense of embarrassment, because there's a good reason uh, to back up your decision if that's the way you're going to be total abstainer, or to partial abstain, whatever, however the Lord leads you. But there we are. So that's, that's one um, amazing thing there. Some also have been disturbed that Jesus would spend so much time on a social occasion when he'd already started his ministry. He'd been baptised in water. He'd been mega baptised in the Holy Spirit. He'd come back over and overcome Satan. And he'd come back full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And here he is. Spending what could possibly be anything from three to seven days at a social occasion with a wedding. Some of us shouldn't he be preaching, should be out there moving on with the kingdom. No, Jesus wasn't a killjoy. He didn't come to spoil our social round. He wants us to be friendly with our with neighbours and friends and people we go get, get on with and people we come across with our in our lives. I always I, I'm totally fascinated, by the way, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. The way he went into these homes and he sat down there and they chatted. I would give my eye teeth to be round that table and just see what he was saying and how they hung on his every word as I would be. And what an awesome thing to imagine Jesus, the Son of God, through whom everything was created and nothing that was created, um, you know, the word, the word, everything was created through him. Anyway, got the quote slightly wrong. But it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, he's the Lord of glory. He was there when the world was being created. Here he is with awesome power, the Son of the eternal God, sitting around a table, yeah. chatting with men and women who, and, and, and with people who would not be welcome inside a religious place. Somehow they loved being with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So, praise the Lord. So I just want to say this. Let's just say he hasn't come to spoil our social life. He wants us to love him and love others, to be friendly, enjoy people, and release the grace and the love of God wherever we go because that's what he did yes. what a saviour, awesome yeah. anyway, what other things let's just pick up some quick before we get on more into this wine uh, is, let's just pick up some obvious things that sit on the surface as it were of this first of all is that Jesus honours marriage there he was the son of God and um, you know he pleased him to be at a marriage celebration. He described John the Baptist as being the best man and him, the Lord Jesus, being the, the bridegroom. He, he says Jesus loves marriage. And of course there is, as we know, at the end of the age, when he's come back again, there's going to be 
the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And we look forward to that day. But here we have a picture. Marriages are meant to be a picture of marriage in heaven. What a joy to start a marriage with two people in Christ and Jesus at the wedding. He will always come when he's asked. Isn't that right? So, so God is for marriage. Praise the Lord. And the only caution you'll find in the, in the New Testament is Paul who's had a bad press on this. Um, he cautioned against marriage because of specific times of persecution and pressure. And he felt that remaining single in those situations would save a lot of hassle and uh, a lot of conflict uh, of interest. But Jesus' presence here lifted marriage to a whole new level of spirituality, of love and loyalty. The other point that's so obvious here is that Jesus helps us in trouble. If we're in trouble, we can turn to him. It's just a simple thing it was, um, but it was something that the bride and groom would never ever have forgotten. To avoid social embarrassment, Jesus steps in. If he hadn't have done, that would have gone down. They would have never forgotten it. And in the community they were a part of, as everybody remember, they're the couple where the wine ran out. You know, what a terrible thing. What an embarrassment it would have been. Jesus wanted to avoid that. He steps in, in his grace and deals with it. The other point is Jesus rewards obedience. Mary, yes. although she stepped out in a sense beyond what she should have done, she should have left it to the Lord just to do his own thing with that. But he said she steps out and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And you know, this is a word for all our lives, isn't it? You know, whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus still speaks today. He speaks in our heart. He speaks through promptings. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through revelation, visions. He speaks through his own word as we read that. When you pick up the Bible, you start opening it and start reading through the New Testament, you know, or anywhere else in the Bible, you're opening yourself up to be spoken to by the Lord of glory. Because God still speaks with his word. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I love the story, Just I, I heard it just recently about, um, I tell this another time, I don't tell so many stories, but anyway, they're all true. But uh, <laughs> the fact is that um, David um, Susha, with a, who plays Farah, you know, you know, he came to the Lord in adult years, having had nil religious background at all. He came to the Lord lying in a bath in a hospital in Switzerland. Well, not a hospital, a hotel in Switzerland. And um, the conviction came on him just out of the blue. We know what's up beyond the blue, don't we? Out of the blue. <laughs> out of the blue. The desire to read the Word of God. And so he went around and he found there was a hotel Bible there in his room. And he sat down and he read it. The first time he'd ever read it. He read through, read through Gospels. He read through the Acts of the Apostles. He read the Romans. When he got to Romans 8, he said, Lord, you are the Son of God. And he gave his life to Jesus. Awesome. You know, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? He gave his life to Jesus. Soon after that, he was baptised in an Anglican church, full immersion. Praise the Lord. God is moving. When you start opening the word of God, 
you are you're putting yourself in a place where God will speak to you so praise the Lord so he turned the water into wine let's look another thing about these stone jars this ritual washing you know this is another thing here the washing the Jews were really really into all sorts of religious rules and washing before ceremonies and whatever before offering sacrifices but you know this thing speaks to us as Jesus changed that water into wine it speaks to us that the observance of religion can never satisfy the deep needs and longings of the human heart and there is more there's always more God has more for you my brother and sister religious performance is just a shadow of things the reality is in Jesus you know it's such an awful thing really that in one sense I'm a, obviously if anybody says shall we have um, Christian uh, services or assemblies in schools I'd be the first one to put my hand up and say yes I vote for that but there's a whole lot of religious observance goes on in schools. It's almost like a vaccine that gives you a little injection so you make sure you'll never catch the real thing. And so, you know, I remember my, my boys went to a uh, Church of England foundation school where special grants were made for sons of the ministry who could go there for nothing. And um, it, took a, it took a number of people from the Far East and one guy came over. I remember one time uh, Paul telling me this uh, because it was at their farewell speech at the end of term. And this fellow stood up there from the east and he was a Buddhist. And uh, he'd been in that school five years and they have services every day and at the weekends, of course. Um, so he stood up and his statement was he thanked the school for all they'd done for him. He said, um, and he thanked them for their services. And he said, I haven't become a Christian, but I've become a much better Buddhist. And I thought, I thought, done that just sum it up. He got a, he got a little vaccine there so that protected him from getting the real thing all that time. Well, weak and washy is that. So anyway, praise the Lord. Jesus wants you to have the real thing. And when he speaks in John 10, 10, and he says, the thief comes to rob, to steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the priest. You find in verse 40 of chapter 9, the conversation switches away for the man who's been healed of his blindness. He's talking now to the Pharisees. You're the thief, he's saying to them. You're the thief. The religion and the way you're putting it across is robbing God's people from the real knowledge of the Father and real relationship with Him. He says, I've come that they may have fullness and have it in all life, in all its fullness. He said, that they might have life. Amen. You find in, in Ephesians that part of the prayer that Paul pours out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that we might be so filled up, we be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's what Jesus was doing in a sense, showing that when he touched things, he changed the water into wine. The wine of God, the wine that makes the heart rejoice. Jesus has come to deliver you from religion, but to bring you into a living relationship with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been in meetings, oh, they've been so glorious, where we 
we've still been there. We've started at six or seven o'clock in the evening, and we've been there till one o'clock, even one time, half past one in the morning. People lay out under the power of God, laughing their heads off. Some people, so the thought would go through their mind, and they think, "I do need to go home." And they try. I can see it in my mind. I've seen it several times. And they've gone towards the back doors in our hall, double doors, and trying to turn the look and collapsing, turning up, and lying on the floor. Yeah. I tell you what, yeah. when Jesus gives the Spirit of God, when He pours it out, He pours it out. And oh dear, 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 the best, the best, the best wine. Yes, hallelujah. So, we. Oh, bring it on, yes. Bring it on, Lord. Jesus wants you, my brother and sister, to have the true wine of his presence. You know, the Spirit of God hasn't come to just touch us and then leave us. He's come to stay. He's come to stay. The Lord said the Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you. He will not leave you. Oh, how awesome. He comes often in waves. We're not always staggering around. Oh, there could be more. We're not always staggering around under that influence. But you know, God wants his church to be, to show a few more signs of drunkenness in him. You know, in these days, what am I talking about there? You know, when somebody gets drunk, you know, they lose all reserve. They lose a sense of self-consciousness. God wants us to be losing our reserve about our own reputation and what people might think. He wants us to be losing that sense of self-consciousness and developing a God-consciousness. The only one who matters is God and his reputation and his word and his love. Oh, hallelujah. That God would so move upon us and so fill us up that we start losing self-consciousness and reserve and instead flooding out, letting our beings be flooded out with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, you know, it's a wonderful thing to welcome the Holy Spirit every morning. May every day of your life be a Holy Spirit day. Because, you know, The scripture says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's a wonderful thing. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to follow him, to walk in his presence. And as we we develop that consciousness, then we'll see more and more of the grace of God around about us. Hallelujah. I'll never forget just listening to Mark. Mark's had the privilege of him. You know, he's the founder of the Healing on the Street movement. And I was listening to him just a few months ago. And he was talking about praying in tongues. And he was talking about how that, um, how that you can pray in tongues silently. And, uh, and he said, this is what it looks like. And he just stood there and he said, <laughs> so everybody stood up and said, it's exactly right, you can pray in tongues suddenly. And he, said, he, re- he remembers an instance where this man was beginning to, was looking at him in a very, very aggressive manner. And uh, it looked like something was about to happen and he didn't know quite what to do. So he started praying in tongues suddenly 
while I was listening. All of a sudden, this man got an old idiot, he rushed up and, uh, and went and fled off down the street, shouting and screaming because praying in your tongues and the Holy Spirit brings something to the presence of God. The Holy Spirit's do that. When I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. There's spirit activity. Oh. We can do that all day. You can do it on the bus, on the train, in the car, in the shops, walk around, having your antennae up to the Father, receiving from him. Praise the Lord. Yes. You know, on the day of Pentecost, these people got so filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the first thing? They could hardly contain themselves. They rushed out. They rushed out into the square. And what they're all speaking in tongues and and everybody who'd come from all sorts of different countries was hearing them in their own language. A miracle thing. But they just couldn't help but move when the Spirit of God came upon them. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes. And of course, as as we know, one of the other aspects of of this, of the Spirit coming, we find in Galatians 5... Um, in verse 22 it says the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions it's a joy that overflows it's a peace that subdues contrary storms and circumstances it's a patience that endures it's a kindness in action it's a life full of virtue it's a faith that prevails it's a gentleness of heart it's a strength of spirit it's God in abundance who's coming and moving in your life you know Each one of our bodies, the Bible says, if you belong to Jesus Christ, your body is the very temple, the carrier of the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to make real room on the inside for the Spirit of God to have his way. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. I just wanted to finish with this, because when the Spirit of God comes, change happens, transformation happens, oh he transformed me, remember that day I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, I came back and a friend of mine had been the best uh, man and uh, and I'd been here later on I became the best man at his wedding Um, but he was one of those, he was such a lovely brother and he was so full of the Spirit and I wasn't and boy I I found his very presence convicting. And even though he'd come around to help me in the garden and things like that, I used to contrive to be out when he was there because I was so convicted by what he was, you know, what he was living in. And um, anyway, this weekend I was away down in Chard, South Chard, and the Spirit of God really moving, empowering, revival power down there. And I got baptised in the Spirit and it was absolutely awesome. When I came back, suddenly he came out on the Sunday night and he looked at me and he said, Mike, he said, you have changed. <laughs> that was the first words out of his mouth. Mike, you have changed. I tell you, when the Spirit comes, he brings transformation. He brings change, not just for five minutes. It's a lifetime if you'll walk with him. Listen to this. I came across this just the other day. Um, in Nicky Gumbel's Through the Bible in a Year or so, day, day by Day or something like that. And it's under a heading, You Are Love. Shane Taylor 
was considered one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. Originally jailed for attempted murder, he'd been born, of course, into a he'd been born into a violent, abusive home. Whatever, he'd had his extend his sentence extended by four years when he attacked a prison officer with a broken glass, setting off a riot. This is very, very condensed. He was put in a segregation unit inside a maximum security prison on solitary confinement. He was given his food. He was so violent, so in anger, so consumed by anger, that people were terrified of him. Even people, hardened criminals, were frightened of him. He'd stabbed another of them. He would fear less and, and put fear in anybody who came near him. So his food was given through a hatch. His door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields waiting outside so to cope with one man. Later, he was transferred to Long Lasting Maximum Security Prison, where the process of time, he was invited on an Alpha course. During the course, when it came to the Holy Spirit Day, came to the Holy Spirit Day, he prayed. The pressure inside him, because people had, uh, he'd been reading Why Jesus, you know, for quite a while. In there, and people were praying for him. So although there was no sign of any change in him, despite all the prayers, in fact, he, when they prayed for him, it seemed almost he got worse. And uh, sometimes it can be that way. Keep on praying. That can happen in some situations that we face. We pray and the thing seems to go worse. And we're looking to the Lord for breakthrough. But the Lord gave a prayer, a promise. And he said that men are always to pray and not give up. I find for the Son of God to say that is profoundly meaningful and encouraging. So anyway... Because when that seed of what God's doing breaks out, everything changes. Hallelujah. And that's what happened here. Suddenly, on this Alpha course, on this Holy Spirit day, he broke down and through sobs, he sobbed, he prayed, Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. What he began to feel, the moment he uttered that prayer from the depths and the sincerity of his heart, he felt, he sensed a sort of bubbling up happening on the inside of him. And because the man, Eddie Baker, was with him and asked him, did he feel anything? He felt this bubbling up coming up of joy and peace. And uh, Eddie said to him, that's the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and so it just filled him and filled him until he couldn't contain himself. And he rushed out running around the prison wing telling everybody you could find, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Hallelujah. Oh, what a change. His behavior changed so much that he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. 
He prayed for the prison officers and for his enemies. And when he came out of prison, he got involved in the church. He met a young woman called Sam, who'd also had a tough life and been involved with drugs and criminal activity. She also came to faith in Jesus. Now they're married and have five children. Yeah, got involved with the God who gives abundance. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Talking to Shane now. It's hard to imagine that he is the same person who terrified so many people in the past. He has experienced the wonder of God's great love. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive. He has saved me. He has forgiven me for what I have done. He has turned my life around. That's what happens. When the Holy Spirit comes. And it goes on. You know, it's for freedom Christ has set us free. Oh, Jesus wants each one of us to to move into such a freedom in our lives that the Bible calls it the glorious freedom, the glorious liberty of the children of God. Hallelujah. That's what he's got for you. That's what he's got for you today. And that's what he's here for. Jesus is here now. Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I want to just ask you all just to stand to your feet this this morning. Praise the Lord. Now I want to say this. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And I want to say if any of my words this morning have, have have resonated with you. And you say, oh, I love that. Oh, I so love to be free from this crippling reserve of self-consciousness. Yeah. Or whatever. I just want that freedom that yeah. Jesus promised. When he said that if you follow my words, you will know the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And it sets you free because the Holy Spirit is all over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lord, we bless you. Yes, mm-hmm. So if, if you're hungry for that, or if you're hungry to know Jesus and you've never, you come near but you've never ever taken that step to know him. Look, I want you this morning to open your eyes. He is so, so real. As Shane shouted around that